So what about municipal politicians and accountability? What about transit and accountability? The Eglinton Crosstown LRT delayed another year. It's been almost a decade-long project. It's been devastating for small businesses and residents in that area. And you'll hear the frustration in Josh Matlow's voice. And we also talk about the accountability of politicians, incumbent and otherwise, to debate, to take on new ideas, to let the public know who they are. It's not happening a ton in our city of Toronto right now. And I want to ask Josh Matlow if he's frustrated by that. That chat right now on Toronto Today. People can love Toronto. They, they're, you know, they could be, they could have been in Toronto for the last four or five generations, and they're worried they can't stay, or they're worried their kid will have to move far away, or they're worried they'll have to sell their own home. Not just help, not just, not just a loan or or a gift to your kid to help them buy their first home, but they're worried they'll have to sell their family home so that their kid can buy anywhere in the GTA, and it shouldn't be like that. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why, um, you know, we really do need, and I know, you know this is, this is going to be a difficult conversation, but it's a necessary one, that along with a number of changes that need to be made with regard to the province, you know, they, they should be bringing back rent control for new units. And there needs to be more opportunities for inclusionary zoning so that, uh, you know, more, more, more units built, both ownership and rental, are, are more affordable than, than what they are today. But there needs to be more options within Toronto uh, for what is often, you know, referred to as the missing middle, where mm-hmm. you know, we need, we need, we obviously need more public housing for people who are, you know, straddling the poverty line. Uh, but we also need, um, you know, housing that is affordable for income brackets that are, you know, there's a lot of like young, young people, young professionals, people who are just they can't, they will never be able to own a home in in this city. And they're struggling to make the rent. And there just needs to be different price points and different options within our city. And that's something that I hope the council will move on. And you know, the irony is, is that you know, when Doug Ford, with John Tory's blessing or encouragement even, brought forward the strong mayor powers ostensibly to do some of these things, the reality is Toronto could have done some of this without the strong mayor system if the mayor had strongly wanted to do it. Mm. Um, so I am hoping that this council term uh, that there there are substantive steps for, uh, you know, uh, like a, a second look at, at how we zone uh, our neighborhoods and really providing opportunities, both for young people to be able to, to live in our neighborhoods. But frankly, there are seniors who are house rich, but are are not, you know, but are not going to have enough money to, you know, age in place, age in their own homes and in their communities. Uh, because they don't have available, you know, funds and 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 their pensions aren't going up. So if they were able to, for example, partition their 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 house into two units, where maybe like for example, they could rent or even I'd even like to see them be able to condoize, even be able to like, you know, sell portions of their house so that younger families can move in who can finally afford to live in the neighborhood. They'd be able to supplement their pensions, the the seniors who live in that home, or have an opportunity for a unit, let's say the ground floor or second floor for their, for their own family, their kids to move in. Um, we need to be creative about that. Yeah. And we need to be permissive about that because that is the reality that people are facing. And I think government needs to reflect that reality and those pressures. Yeah. We've just talked about two critical things, healthcare and housing. I can't think of what, yes. what you're hearing more of when you knock door to door and the old standard of, well, this is how we've always done it. It's not going to work. It's not working right now. So it sure no, isn't going to work 15, 20 yeah. years from now. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, if, if, if our government doesn't reflect the reality 
that people are living and experiencing, then you have to change that government. That's the whole point of representative democracy. So we need to, I mean, our government needs to actually focus on improving healthcare supply, supporting the people who work in those institutions. We need to improve uh, availability and options for housing. There needs to be, um, I, frankly, I think if 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 we're if we're really going to do what we need to do, we need to make sure that there is. Um, uh, it, it shouldn't even be just the private builders that are making all the money these days. Sure. I think that the city should actually, uh, you know, build 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 buildings themselves on its own property, and then provide mm-hmm. services to support aging in place, along with childcare, other amenities for the community, along with affordable housing on those sites. Josh Matlow, City Councilor for Ward Twelve, Toronto St. Paul's. Uh, he's running again. Seven councillors, uh, Josh, are not back. Uh, they resigned yeah. prior to the election. Two, obviously, are part of the uh, provincial legislature right now in, in Kristen Wong-Tem and Michael Ford. Um, do you buy yeah. the notion? Do you buy the notion that incumbent city councillors have have a huge advantage? You can't feel necessarily that way because you're on the ground, um, you know, boots on the ground, doing the work and knocking on doors. But but y- you are known and you know you know the problems and you know the issues. Is that is that a struggle for to get new faces and new voices? I'm sure you you're excited to see several new faces and new voices join you this time around. Why? Well, yes, but I, yes and yes, meaning that of course I'm excited to see. Uh, new voices and, uh, you know, people who have opportunities to uh, represent uh, their communities and take part in, in municipal government. I think that's really important. Uh, but, it, I mean, objectively, it's inarguable that incumbency is an enormous advantage. Uh, uh, name recognition counts uh, at the municipal level, uh, as it does in, in most in most every other case. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's just fair to say that uh, if you're if you're an incumbent counselor and you've, for, you know, for many years, people have known your name, you've been to graduations and, and school fairs and etc uh, that that is an advantage uh, it, you know it, you've had you've had years to to get your name out and, and somebody running against you has a matter of months or, or weeks uh, so of course of course that's true we have a what seems like a non competitive mayoral race um, that doesn't seem to be great but I also understand why someone wouldn't give up a city council seat to run against uh, John Tory right now and then sort of be left with it. This isn't like you can be, you know, governor of Missouri, um, run for president <laughs> as a, a Democratic or Republican nominee. And if you don't get it, you and go right back governor, to being yeah. governor of Missouri. Right. You, It's not it's not yeah. that simple. Well, and and uh, yes, and there are other the other, you know, life, real life things you need to consider, whether you have uh, aging parents, young kids, um, uh, you know, you know, whatever's going on in your life, you need to consider that as far as what you really are able to uh, to take on at that moment. So there's the, you know, the professional ambition and the things you want to do uh, on behalf of your community and your city. And then I think every individual needs to consider, you know, what, what really is good for, for them and their family at that moment in life, too. So some call it uh, Line 5 Eglinton. Some call it the Eglinton Crosstown. Um, the news probably doesn't surprise a lot of people, but it's certainly a, you know, a bucket of cold water to the face of businesses there, residents there. This has been the longest long-term construction project many people in Toronto can uh, remember, and no doubt there's frustration with uh, the Metrolink's announcement on Friday. What fixes this? What what expedites it? Do we just have to be patient with it? Greg, it's uh, a bucket of cold water is is an understatement, and it's almost generous. It is it is infuriating. Um, you know, over a decade. Uh, 
Businesses have been struggling. Many have been lost. People have lost their entire life savings. Residents have been living in neighborhoods that have become like dysfunctional. Um, and, and it's not like it's not like the average person is just you know complaining about traffic. I'm talking about three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon, a mile long uh, parking lot on their on their street. Like it's mm-hmm. just it's a mess. And um, you know every time Metrolink says that they've got a completion date, they never complete it. So first, the big promise was 2020. It's going to be done then in 2021. Then they made this grand announcement that it was going to be done in 2022. Now they're saying sometime in 2023. Um, It's not believable. And frankly, um, there hasn't been enough accountability and transparency about even why these delays keep happening and why they keep promises. So, you know, Councillor Mike Cole and I uh, both agree that there needs to be uh, a public inquiry as to what really has been going on and why these things have been happening, because um, I'd like to see reparations for people who have been affected uh, by by the construction. And again, I'm not suggesting in any way that we don't want the transit to be built. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just that it's been done horribly without any accountability and with constant delays infighting between Metrolinks and their contractors, legal suits, all sorts of issues that need to come to light. So, uh, you know, the businesses and the communities need need their government and Metrolinks to say, this is, we get that we screwed this up and we need to make amends. And then meanwhile, and this is just as importantly, Metrolinks and the government are about to venture on with the Ontario law. So they need to learn lessons so that this doesn't repeat itself. Because there are a lot of communities and businesses along the new Ontario line that's going to be constructed that are are going to be treated like collateral damage, like those along Eglinton have been, unless mm-hmm. they improve how they how they build these projects. I think you make the point about the the tension, and the, and that tension is probably underselling it. Also, it's cross, Crosslinks Transit Solutions and Metrolinks, and I, yes. I I wonder like it's probably like it, the relatable thing for our audience is probably you bring somebody in to renovate your home, you realize pretty quickly this isn't going well but you're already right. so deep into the project that the idea of of firing them and bringing in somebody else is is a nightmare onto itself and amplify that yeah, times yeah. 10,000 because of how many businesses and homes this affects and and as you point out it's a decade long construction project it's unthinkable well and that, and, and that's why like finally i think i think we all need to get out of the hyperbolic rhetoric around you know either public is always the way to go, or in this case, public-private partnerships are the answer to solve all of society's ills. Because clearly this has been a screw-up. So, I mean, the reality is, um, you know, and this is why an inquiry is so important. There needs to be a genuine understanding of how best to build these projects that are in a a cost-effective, effective, and accountable way that meets timelines. Uh, this private-public partnership has been a complete boondoggle, and there needs it needs to be answerable, and we need to understand how to do it better. And frankly, um, uh, you know, the the scariest thing is is that Metrolink seems to be just moving forward with repeating this setup for the Ontario line. Uh, even though the status quo has not worked. And that's that's just not acceptable. Um, I know we're tight for time, and I don't want you necessarily to have to wade too deeply into the mayoral race, but I'll just ask you on a procedural point. Right now, yeah. there's, o- there's only one debate scheduled. Uh, New York City just elected Eric Adams as mayor to replace uh, you know, Bill de Blasio, and they had six debates, six all-candidate yeah. mayor debates. Um, one doesn't feel like mm-hmm. enough. 
Um, it's it's a little bit concerning. Shouldn't there be more than one mayoral debate? Of course, of course, there should. You know, there, there's a um, there's a convention that you know if you're if you're the um, if you're the underdog, you want to relentlessly talk about your opponent, and if you're the front runner, you never talk about your opponent. And I, it seems to me what John Tory is doing is that he just doesn't want to give a stage to his opponents like Gil Penalosa and others. That being said, though, this shouldn't be up to John Tory. He's a candidate. Uh, the, the, you know, many members of the public are not fully informed about where all the candidates stand and exactly what they want to do. And I think it's really important for the public to have an opportunity to weigh the different uh, choices and, 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 then, and then choose who they believe would, would lead our city best. And I think, it's, I think it's, it actually shortchanges the, the, the very public that John Tory and all the other candidates hope to serve by not allowing them to be informed about you know, where, where, they're, where they're, their mayoral candidates stand on the issues that are important to them. So I think, it's, I think it's, it's actually really concerning about the state of our local democracy that there's not only going to be, I think, like one debate, but it's going to be done after the advanced polls are closed. That's where, right. You know, a, a, a week, a week before the actual election date. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's not fair. That's not right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's probably helpful for council candidates, too. You get a pulse. This would be like me never listening to any other talk radio station and not watching the news on television. I'm, that's not going to make me any better at my you're going to get more of a pulse of, as to what matters to people, matters to other politicians and the general public. Of course it is. I mean, of course, of course. And in, in this case, it's like when I like when I've been knocking at doors, you know, of course, like there's, you know, I know a lot of people and there's a lot of recognition and all that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there's a lot of people who really like don't don't know exactly who's running or they just, you know, many people are even just kind of tuning into the fact that there's a municipal election. Yeah. And so the more opportunity people have to just hear the mayoral candidates debate and under, even understand sort of like what, what they're proposing, what, what works for, for them, I think it's really healthy for a democracy. And it, I, I, it does feel like John Tory is just taking this for granted. And that's not, that's not fair to, to our city. Hey, Josh, I got a blast. Let's talk again uh, in the next few weeks uh, leading up to Election Day. Appreciate the time this morning. Always my pleasure. Thanks, Greg. That's Josh Matlow, City Councilor for Ward 12.